Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 2 Peter chapter 2, the book of 2 Peter chapter 2. We continue our study through the New Testament. Now, last week, last week we studied chapter 1 where Peter, he gives a recipe for growth in Christ and to be steadfast in Christ. And don't forget, with guarantees where, you know, he says, you do this and you will never stumble, he says. Remember? He says, you do this, and so an entrance into paradise will welcome you. You see, his exhortation unto us does come with guarantees. And then, you know, when he says this, it's not to boast, but, you know, he speaks of his credence and those with him. When he says in our study in last week in chapter one, when he says, for we, we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Where, you know, he also said, you know, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. He's not boasting and saying, oh, look at me, look how awesome I am. No, but he's mentioning his credence for the sake of the body. Remember when Paul did the same thing to the Corinthian saints? It wasn't to boast at all. In fact, when Paul spoke of his credence, he would often accompany it by saying that he spoke as a fool. And Paul says, you have 10,000 teachers, but one father speaking of himself. And Paul also said, when he said, you know, for we are not as so many peddling the word of God, he says. But as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. You see, these vessels of the Lord, sometimes they have to mention their credence. They have to mention because the people, it's so easy for them to lose focus. Now, consider what Levin might say at the notion of Paul, at the notion of, you know, when, when Peter says, you know, we didn't, we didn't follow the cunningly devised fables. When Paul says, you know, we're not peddling the word of God. What is it that the leaven might say? You know, when with the, just like the leaven of Corinth, when they're doing their sex, their alcohol and extortion, what might they say at vessels of the Lord? You see? Oh, Peter, Mr. Big Shot. Peter says that he has the prophetic word confirmed. Paul says that among 10,000 teachers, he's like a father. Who does Peter think he is? Who does Paul think he is? You see, Mr. Big Shot Peter, Mr. Big Shot Paul, what is it that the leaven might say? And when Paul, you know, you know who they think they are? When Paul says, we're the scum of the world, we're like trash. Remember our study through 1 Corinthians? If you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our study through 1 Corinthians all the way up to 2 Peter chapter 2. You'll understand more. You see, vessels of the Lord, such as Peter and Paul, they don't think very highly of themselves at all. But the word of God is exalted in them. And they speak with authority, you see? And they don't demand recognition of their ministry as given by the Lord. Remember when Paul mobilized Titus, the second wave of leadership, the next generation of leadership in the church? When Paul, when he mobilized Timothy and Titus, he says, just speak, just speak. It's the remnant, Titus, that will hear you. 
He doesn't say, hey, Titus, I'm sending you into town. You know, go into these churches and just wreck shop. Go and beat up the pastor. No, he doesn't say that. Remember, the rules of engagement as new covenant believers are not carnal. We don't fight according to the flesh. We fight according to the spirit. On our knees before the Lord in prayer. The weapons of our warfare. They're spiritual. You see? And Peter sending Titus, he says, hey, you know, don't, don't go to the churches and beat up people. Just speak. Just speak because the remnant will hear you. You see? When everyone was leaving Paul in droves, Onesiphorus, remember Onesiphorus? He didn't. And in 64 AD, when 1 Peter was written, it was very, very dangerous to be a Christian, to be a believer. 64 AD, remember our study in 1 Peter? Not too long ago. Here we are in 2 Peter, the second letter written by Vessel Peter, filled of the Holy Spirit, a vessel of the Lord. And here we are in 67 AD, three years later after 1 Peter, and it's even more dangerous to be a Christian. And people are leaving the faith, led away by so-called teachers. The so-called teachers, just like Hymenaeus and Alexander. You see? Led away by their own carnal passions and worldly desires, just like Demas. Remember Demas, seduced by the world? Go back and listen to our study through First and Second Timothy. You'll learn all about it. You see, these vessels of the Lord, because Christians, because it's so easy to lose focus with our eyes focused on the world, with our eyes focused on situations, it's so easy to lose focus. And yet these vessels of the Lord, sometimes they have to speak of their credence. Just like last week, what Peter, when, when Peter says, you know, you know, we have the prophetic word confirmed. Paul says, we're not peddling the word of God. And these vessels, Peter, he warns about dangers to the saints. And this begins our study in 2 Peter chapter 2. These dangers. In verse 1, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people even as there will be false teachers among you. Now, look at these two camps. Look at these two camps. In verse 1 already, right off the bat, you know, among the people is one thing. But what about when it comes closer to home? Peter says, you know, I'm a false prophets among the people, but then he also says false teachers among you. Look at the two camps. You see? Among you. Notice the tenses too. There were false prophets. And then the next tense is there will be false teachers, both past tense and future tense. And I love how you know Paul or Peter, he indicates these things for the church, for Christians, for saints in the perilous times of 67 AD. Picture you and me. Picture you and me. We're in a fellowship of a hundred people. And the pastor is like Peter. The pastor is like Paul. Full package. Fully qualified. And the times say they're like 60 AD, where the temperature, the cost of being a Christian, it's getting warmer. And so we have a, a full package pastor, a full package teacher, just like Peter. 
And the pastor is teaching and you and me, we're maturing in the Lord. We sit in the pews, we study the Bible, we follow along and we're listening. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, as the Bible says. And we're moving on from the elementary things, just like the book of Hebrew tells us. And in the course of time, people won't endure sound doctrine and say our church of 100 people that we belong to. Say 60 people, they leave. 60 people leave. And now we're in a church of 40 people. So our church went from 100 to 40. 60 people have left. Now, there is a sorrow associated with this. Absolutely. But are we safe? We have a full, full package pastor. He's just like Peter. Are we safe? For the time being, yes. 60 people did not endure. They left. They were seduced by a false prophet. They ran to another church where they go do things that are not fitting for the Christian. They go grave soaking. That's what the 60 people have decided to do. They left and they do that. And for the time being, we have safety. We have safety. But among our 40, it's smaller. Among our 40. Now, instead of it, the time is being, the temperature being like 60 AD, say the times are now like 65 AD, where the temperature is getting warmer. The cost of being a Christian is getting warmer. Now, false teachers will arise and have arisen. And our 40, are we still safe? You see, there's going to be another shedding, maybe down to 30, maybe down to 25, then down to 15. These are things that happen in perilous times, in times of tribulation. These are things that happen. Look at the early church. Go back and listen to our study through Acts, the book of Acts. And then if, you're, if you've been walking with us for a while, you know, we kind of segment things in periods of time where we look at the time frame of the book of Acts. We study the book of Acts. But then at the same time, when we get into the epistles and we get into Romans and first Corinthians and all these letters, we look at time periods. And then when we understand these timelines, we see something else. Where, you know, like in, 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 in the early chapters of the book of Acts. When Peter would speak and the Holy Spirit would fall on people, thousands of people would come to Christ. Thousands of people. But then here we are in 67 AD and Christians are leaving. Christians are falling away. What happened? What happened? You see, these are things that happen during perilous times. There's a remnant, but then the remnant doesn't stay the remnant. The remnant gets smaller. Remember in, in the book of John chapter 6, from time to time we make mention of John chapter 6. But when you read John chapter 6, count the numbers. Count the numbers of people where, where thousands of people in John chapter 6 in the beginning, thousands of people, they're walking with Jesus. They follow Jesus. And yes, it's a beautiful thing. 5,000 plus following Jesus. And it's absolutely a beautiful thing. And they get fed by Jesus. 
by the, you know, by the uh, 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 disciples, but the people get fed. But when you start in John chapter 6 in verse 1 and you, you start reading, count the numbers. Because Jesus starts walking and the people follow him and then he stops. He turns around, he faces the people and he says, you're not following because you, you don't follow because of the things I say and the things I teach. He says, you're following me because you like the food, you like the goodies. You're following me because your bellies are nice and full. And people got offended, they left. And then he speaks to the disciples, which were hundreds. And then he gives more truth. He says, does this offend you? He asked the question, does this offend you? And then people follow Jesus no more. You see? And then there were 12. When you read John 6, count the numbers. To go from 5,000 plus to 12, what happened? Truth was given. You see? And in the last days, men will not endure sound doctrine. And these are things in tandem with tribulation and times of peril. These are things that will happen where the remnant will get smaller. Just like the example we gave where we have a fellowship of 100 people, 60 people leave. Now we have 40. Are the 40 safe? For the time being, yes. But the 40 will dwindle to 30, to 25, to 15. Now, I have a message to pastors. Qualified shepherds. Not run-of-the-mill pastor. No, biblically qualified shepherds. Full package. If you're listening for the first time and you don't understand what we say, what we mean when we say that, go back and listen to our study through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. You'll understand a whole lot more. Don't forget the introduction to 1 Timothy. Introduction to the pastoral epistles. Very important. But a message we have to pastors, the qualified pastors, overseers, qualified overseers, full package. Have a series of contingency plans in place, a series of contingency locations in place. You see, it's for the safety of the remnant, a remnant that will become even smaller. Very important. And we have listeners all over the world. And sometimes, you know, some locations, they're in homes. Sometimes they're in, you know, little shelters or, you know, like a, 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 like a, a tin building, a building with a tin roof. Sometimes, depending on where you are. But to qualified shepherds, have a series of contingency plans in place. Very important because the times are evil. The days are evil. Things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse, ultimately leading up to the revealing of the Antichrist. When Peter speaks and teaches us about these things from 2 Peter chapter 2, you know, the, the, the threats of false prophets and false teachers, they'll come from inside the church. Inside the church. And Brother Peter, he continues, and he says, of these false teachers and false prophets who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, he says, secretly. They're going to enter the church, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction, he says. 
It's just like the ones who secretly entered Galatia. Remember the Pseudodelphos from our study in the book of Galatians? The Pseudodelphos, the false brethren? Go back and listen to our study. These people were so cunning and skillful that even Peter, the writer of this letter, even Peter almost got sucked up into the heresies of Galatia that these men were speaking, but not Paul. Not Paul. And Paul corrected Peter, remember? When, when, when Paul says of these so-called teachers, it makes no difference to me who they are. They add nothing to me, he says. They can have all the degrees. They can have all the certificates they want. But does what they say match the scripture? You see? And if the so-called preacher guy, remember, don't forget, there's more open to scrutiny for the preacher, for the teacher, for the pastor. There is more open to scrutiny. What is it? What, what do they do? Is what they do, does that match the scripture as well? Even more open to scrutiny? What about their home? You see? Very important. It's for your safety. It's not just, it's not knowledge for the sake of knowledge. It's knowledge for the safety of the saints. And remember, knowledge, it's a gift of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Not the greatest gift, but a spirit still. And so Peter, he says here in verse 1 that they deny the Lord. Now in the Greek, it's, you know, they deny, they reject, they contradict the Lord. That's how it, that's how it is in the Greek. They deny, reject, and contradict. That's what they do to the Lord. The Lord who bought them. You see, today we live in a time where people like to quickly say, well, he was never really a Christian. Oh, she was never really a Christian. And the reason why they say this is to support a false teaching of once saved, always saved. Because if once saved, always saved were true, denying the Lord who bought them, that would be impossible. If once saved, always saved was true, denying the Lord who bought them would be impossible. It doesn't fit the scripture. So what do we do? We throw the theory out. And a lot of times Christians, they're shocked. They get very mad. When they hear that, oh, once saved, always saved, you know, they, they, they like to say, oh, once saved, always saved, once saved, always saved. And then they get mad, you know, what do you mean once saved, always saved is, 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 isn't right, that it's not in the Bible, that it's unbiblical? Denying the Lord who bought them, that would be impossible if once saved, always saved were true. The biblical model is once saved, stay saved. You see? Once saved, stay saved. Because, you know, a person, just as, as Brother Peter is writing here, a person denies the Lord who bought them. They were saved. But they didn't stay saved. You see, it fits. It fits. Remember in Acts chapter 20, where you have overseers, shepherds, men who are called to be overseers by the Lord. And what happens to these shepherds? They become wolves. You see? Called by the Lord to be overseers. Tasked, tasked by the Lord to be overseers. Except they become wolves. 
Now, if once saved, always saved were true, that would be impossible. So we take the theory and we throw it in the trash. And the biblical model is once saved, stay saved. You see? Now, when you look at Acts 20, you see these overseers called by the Lord to shepherd. They're saved. But they didn't stay saved. You see? It fits. Don't forget. Names, names can enter the book of life and names can also be blotted out. You see? The false prophets and false teachers... Peter says they bring on themselves swift destruction. Notice it's self-inflicted. These are people that you cannot follow. You see? And, you know, we're just in, in verse 1 and already these are some heavy, heavy truths. We're just in verse 1, but we can't forget chapter 1. Beautiful exhortations that Peter has for Christians. We can't forget 1 Peter, a beautiful book. Don't forget the, 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 the recipe. When Peter, in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, listen, you do this. Hey, so an entrance to paradise will be welcome to you. you ushered in. You do this, you will never stumble. You see? With guarantees. What pastor do you know will give guarantees such as this? You know, hey, picture a pastor standing at the pulpit and says, hey, you know what? You guys will never stumble. And here's what we got to do. And then boom, 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 boom. You see? Instead, what they like to say is, you know, once saved, always saved, once saved, always saved. But that's not the biblical formula. And we're just in verse one already. These are heavy, heavy truths but they must be understood because the perilous times of 67 AD it's not just reserved for 67 AD there are times of tribulation and peril all throughout church history and in the last days it's going to be worse that's what Jesus says no time as before is going to be like the last days you see, picture a guy who says, "Hey, everybody, follow me. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm on my way to go dive into that volcano so I can burn in hot fire. Follow me," he says. Listen, no one would follow him. No one would follow him. That's easy. A guy says, "Hey, follow me. I'm gonna go jump in that volcano. See that hole in the ground? You know, see how it's glowing red? You see the fire jumping out of it and popping out and lava? How it's burning everything? Nobody's near. Hey, follow me. I'm gonna go jump in that hole." Nobody would follow him. That's easy. That's a piece of cake. Because we can see the lava. He can point and, you know, I'm going that direction. And we can see the lava. He's like, nope, I'm not going that way. We can see it with our eyes. But what about when they change their lingo? What about when they add Bible verses to what they say? What about when they twist the scriptures? What happens is that people are more inclined to follow them, but the person hasn't changed his path. He's only changed what he says. Well, the first time when you, you know, you know, he, he points and you can see the lava and he says, hey, I'm going to go see that lava jumping out and flying out, see the flames. Hey, I'm going to go jump in that hole. You can look at him and be like, no way, I'm not going. 
But then he adds in the niceties. He adds in, you know, here's a little verse. This is what the proverb says this. The Psalms say this. And Paul said this. And Moses said this. And follow me. Because the formula is wrong in him, he's still going to go jump in that hole. But because you can't see that hole where the fire and the, you know, you can't see the lava jumping around. You can't see the flames. You can't see it. If you follow that person, you're still going to fall in that hole. These are the things that Brother Peter is warning about. These are the things that Paul, when he mobilized Titus, he doesn't say, hey, you know, go into the church and, you know, beat up the pastors. No, he says, go, go and speak. Don't be silent. Go and speak. Because people might reject you, Titus, but it's the remnant that won't. You see? Look what Brother Peter says in verse 2. He says, and many will follow their destructive waves. You see? Their destructive waves. Not a little bit of people. Not a tiny population. Not one or two brothers and one or two sisters. No. Many. Many will follow their destructive waves. Not their destructive ways. This was Paul's phobia. Remember when Paul exposed his fear to the saints in Corinth? He wasn't afraid of the false teachers for himself. He was afraid for the saints. That the saints would put up with it. Paul didn't put up with it. Remember Paul to the Galatians? He says, Look, it makes no difference to me. This guy can have his degrees. He can have his master's. He can have his doctorate. He can go to whatever seminary. That's nice. I don't care about his certificates. You see? Doesn't matter to me, Paul says. Remember our study through Galatians? When Paul exposed his phobia to the saints, it was for the saints that they might put up with it. The preacher guys who come in with another gospel, another Jesus, and another spirit. You see, Paul was afraid for the saints because he knew the saints, they would put up with it. Just like the saints put up with it in Corinth, just like the saints put up with it in Galatia. But you know what? The saints, they didn't put up with it in Philippi. You know why? Good teachers. They had really good teachers, good pastors, good shepherds. They shepherded well in Philippi, not in Corinth. You see, not in Galatia, but in Philippi, good shepherds. Lowercase g, lowercase s, good shepherds. Faithful unto the Lord. Now, in verse 2, many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. In the Greek, translates as through whom the way of truth will be vilified. You see? Will be vilified. Remember our Wednesday study? Very, very difficult subject matter. Very, very difficult subject matter. Just on last Wednesday. And, you know, we look at, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the victim of rape. And, you know, there was mention when I mentioned, you know, victims of rape and molestation, people that I've spoken to. And it's not uncommon for them in these conversations. It's not uncommon for them to say, I hate Christians, they say. 
I hate Christians. Don't ever talk to me about God. You want to know the reason why they say that? Of course, I ask, you know, why, 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 why do you say that? You know what they tell me? They say, because I spoke to this guy, he was a Christian. I spoke to this lady, he was a Christian. And they're the ones, they tell me that it was God's will that I was raped. It was God's will that I was molested as a child. That's what they say. And in response, they say, well, don't ever come to me with Jesus. I hate Christians. Now, you see what's happening here? This is the very thing that Peter tells us about. The way of truth is vilified. When he says it here, straight up in verse 2. Because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Translate says the way of truth will be vilified. What's happening? You know, I hear these rape victims. Victims of molestation. I hate Christians. I hate Jesus. I hate everything to do with church. Why? Because this person told me it was God's will that I was raped. You see? The way of truth, what they presume to be truth, you come to them with Jesus, they don't want to hear it. Don't, don't mention Jesus to me, they say. I hate Christians. And they expose why. What happened is the way of truth is vilified. But why? It's through false teaching. When a person says, oh yeah, you're, you were raped because God, you know, God in his sovereignty, he willed that to happen. Through false teaching, the way of truth is vilified. That's what Peter is speaking about. Propagated by the false prophet and the false teacher. The, the, the very thing that Peter tells us, notice, he goes even further. In verse 3, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Very interesting what we see here. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. So what do they want? What do they want? Do they want you in heaven? Do they want you in paradise? They do not. You know why? Because by covetousness, the Bible says, these so-called teachers and prophets, they want money. Money. They serve mammon. A desire for wealth is how the word translates in the Greek. Also, fraudulence and extortion. They're hirelings. Jesus tells us hirelings, they don't care for the flock. Jesus says when the wolves come, you know what they do? The hireling, they run. That's what Jesus says. The wolf catches the sheep and, you know, and it's harpazo in the Greek. The wolf harpazo, the sheep, catches the sheep, harpazo. And Christians always like to talk about harpazo hope, harpazo hope, harpazo hope. But I say, which one? Which one? Straight up. Which one? Harpazo by the wolf? Or harpazo by the good shepherd. Because harpazo by the good shepherd has a formula. Very important. 
Remember, Peter, what he's doing, he's warning the saints about false teachers, false prophets. It's not outside the church. It's not outside. It's inside. Remember the defunct shepherds of Corinth? Look what happened in Corinth. The defunct shepherds of, uh, of Galatia? Look what happened in Galatia. Where Paul, he had to write to them and say, I marvel. I'm, you guys, you blow me away. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from Jesus. In the church and yet turning away from Jesus. You see? It's how a church becomes Laodicea. These threats are inside the church. You see? And these wolves, the false prophet and false teacher, the Bible says will exploit believers. Will exploit believers. In verse 3, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. That's what the Bible says of these false teachers and false prophets. They will exploit believers. And in the Greek, it translates as to merchandise, to trade, to buy, and to sell. That's what they do to Christians. You know what that is? They're traffickers. They're traffickers. They're traffickers of the saints. You see? Like a pimp is to a prostitute, these teachers are to believers. I'll say that again. Like a pimp is to a prostitute. The false teacher is to believers. You say, oh, that's too harsh. That's too harsh. How dare you say it like that? Listen, why do you think the Bible speaks of a mother of harlots? The wicked mother that we see in Revelation, she has wicked daughters, harlotry. You see? These wicked daughters, they have evangelizers that the Bible calls false teachers and false prophets. And the Bible gives very specific warning. Come out of her, my people. You say, wait a second, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Okay. Don't forget the package deal. Don't forget the package deal. Obey Jesus. You see? Now, if you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our study through Hebrews and James. You'll understand more about the package deal. People like to say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Well, even the demons believe. Do they obey? No, they do not. These traffickers, these traffickers of the saints, they stand at the pulpit and they speak with deceptive words. And these are things, understand, these are things babies, they cannot discern. Is the baby bad? No, babies are beautiful. The problem happens when the babies stay babies. It's just what happened in Corinth. And about these traffickers in the pulpit, Peter continues, he says, for a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. You see, these traffickers are at the pulpit, men and women. Now you say, why, why you say women? Why you say, remember, these are, these are people who don't adhere to scripture. They don't adhere to scripture. So these traffickers are both men and women because the Bible says men only. 
overseers. All, covering always male. Old Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, covering always male. There is female covering unto children. Female covering unto other females. But covering in terms of overseer, always male. Old Testament, New Testament. You see? Don't forget. These traffickers, they're on their way to hell. As we see here. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle. Their destruction does not stumble or does not, does not, does not slumber. These are people that will cause you to stumble. You cannot follow them. Do not heed them. You know why? They feed poison. You see? Now, what Peter does here, he goes old school. He goes old school. He goes deep in the Old Testament. Remember, God never changes. You see, people like to say, well, I like to read the New Testament. I like to read the New Testament because, you know, God is nicer. Same Lord. He never changes. Oh, I like to study the New Testament. You know, I, I do New Testament only. What does Paul say? Paul says that the old is written for us, for our warning. Peter, he also points to the old for warning. Why? Same spirit. The spirit that is in Paul is the same Holy Spirit that is in Peter. The same spirit that guides the remnant today. Things that the Lord put in motion many, many moons ago. Remember our study from 1 Peter? Remember the dominoes from 1 Peter? Things that angels peek into? I was recently asked the question, you know, where, where do you get this doctrine of dominoes? You know, the, the, from the young theologian. <laughs> where do you get this doctrine of dominoes? Go back and listen to our study through 1 Peter. Things that the Lord put in motion. It's holy. Holiness unto the Lord. It's beautiful. But holiness unto the Lord is not without threats. And these threats come inside the church. And Peter going old school, Old Testament examples in verse 4, he says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, understand, like you and me, the angels had a choice to make. Of the angels who sinned, what does God do? What does God do? Cast them down to hell. That's what verse 4 says. If God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, you see, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, that's what God did to sinning angels. Peter is giving this example for warning for warning for us, for Christians, new covenant believers. It's a warning for us, but what about the realm of man? Okay, that's the angels. What about the realm of man? Look at verse five. And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Now, how does Peter know how does Peter know that Noah was a preacher of righteousness? The same spirit with Noah is with Peter. Remember, knowledge is a gift of the spirit. A gift of the spirit, one of many, not the greatest gift, but one of many. So in verse 5 you have two camps presented, the ungodly and Noah. 
For the other seven, they were with Noah. You see? Very important. The other seven were with Noah. So you have two camps, the ungodly and Noah. And what does Jesus say about the last generation? In Matthew 24, verse 37, he says, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Brother Peter, he continues with Old Testament truths as examples for the 67 AD generation, the perilous times of 67 AD, but as examples also for the 2023 AD generation. In verse 6, he says this, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Notice what's happening here. Peter is a new covenant believer. Peter is a shepherd of the new covenant. You see? But there's the same commander. Commander of the armies of heaven. The same commander that was the commander of Moses, of Joshua, of Jephthah, of Deborah. Same commander. Different rules of engagement as new covenant believers. And Peter, as a shepherd in the old co- or in the new covenant, as new covenant believers, where we don't fight according to the flesh, we fight according to the spirit, he's giving warning to believers, those who are in the new covenant. He's giving this warning and going old school, Old Testament, because God never changes. You see? The commander of the armies of heaven. He never changes. Understand, living ungodly, that's a choice. Ungodliness is a choice. The Bible says light came into the world, but people love darkness more than the light. And what does Jesus say about Sodom? Where in Matthew 11, in Matthew 11, verse 23, speaking to Capernaum, In Matthew 11, verse 23, Jesus says, If the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day, he says. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Whoa, that's heavy. That's heavy. If the works done in Capernaum were done in Sodom, which, don't forget, Sodom was destroyed. But if Sodom saw the exact same works as done in Capernaum, Sodom would have acknowledged the Lord. And Jesus is telling this rejecting people in Capernaum that in the day of judgment, Sodom is more tolerable. That's heavy. That's heavy. Scratch that. That's very heavy. And Jesus also says to messengers of the Lord when they are rejected because of what they speak in Matthew 10, 
In Matthew 10, verse 14, Jesus says, And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Whoa, that's heavy again. Very heavy. And this is where maturity helps. Growing in Christ is a beautiful thing. Moving on from the elementary things, if the Lord permits, don't forget our study from Hebrews 5 and 6. Because the false teacher and the false prophet, they can cite these verses and guilt trip the saints. And they do. Where the false teacher can say, well, you know, receive me so you don't end up like Sodom in the, J- in the, in the day of judgment. And a baby believer might say, wow, I'm, I'm going to stay with this guy. It's safe with this guy. But the mature Christian, they will know the disconnect of rhetoric. But this is a wolf who speaks. The wolf speaks and makes these proclamations, but he himself is in Sodom. You see, look at Alexander and Hymenaeus. Alexander and Hymenaeus were both very effective in their deception. Don't forget, all the saints in Asia left Paul. They were very effective. The deception of 67 AD where saints were falling away. And don't forget the deception of 2023 AD. And as we get deeper and deeper and deeper in the events of the last days, saints will fall away. Apostasy is prophesied. One of the signs of the last days. Very important. Sometimes Christians, oh, I like to be in the New Testament only because it's too harsh in the Old Testament in the Old Testament. So I like to read the New Testament, you know, Matthew, and you know, and I skip Revelation. I, I like the good stuff and I, I want to feel good. Don't do that. If that's you, don't do that. Read the Old Testament. Same Lord. Same Lord. Different covenants, but same Lord. And vessels of the Lord in the new covenant, they cite and they point to the old as warning for us as new covenant believers. Paul did it. Peter's doing it right here, right now. Second Peter chapter two. Pointing to the angels when they chose to be disobedient. Pointing to Sodom when they chose to be disobedient. You see? Alexander and Hymenaeus, people that Paul warned about. And Peter, when he writes and he's continuing here about Sodom and Gomorrah, and now don't forget the ungodly are in one camp. Verse six, verse six, the the ungodly are in one camp. And then there's another camp. In verse seven, and delivered righteous lot. Delivered righteous Lot. Who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. Now these two camps, you have the ungodly and wicked with filthy conduct who oppress and wear down. That's how it's worded in the Greek. 
They oppress and wear down. And then you have righteous Lot. And the Lord delivered him. Have you ever felt that way? Oppressed and wore down just by the conduct of another person. Have you ever felt that? Picture Lot in his day of living. And the conduct and behavior of the townspeople ultimately getting to the point where the townspeople, they're banging on the door and they're banging on their door. We want to have sex with your visitors. Very interesting. We want to have sex with them. Very interesting, given that we studied something very similar just on Wednesday. It just so happens. It just so happens. Let them out. Let them out. We want to have sex with them, they say. And in Lot's day, these men were struck with blindness. They were struck with blindness. And what happened? They could not find the door. I'll say that again. They could not find the door. I'll say it yet again. They could not find the door. They were struck with blindness. Brother Peter says in verse 8, For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Now, in, in modern living, we have walls and insulation. But when you're in a town of tents, a town of tents, you can see lawless deeds and say, well, I'm going inside now. But then you hear the lawless deeds. You can hear it. I don't want to get graphic, but the sounds of lawless deeds would be torture. You see? The Bible tells us that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And we read it, we hear it, we believe it, but how much do we believe it? And I don't say this in a condemning way, in any way, shape, or form. It's not to condemn, but it's to help. Have you ever felt that you just don't belong here? I meant straight up, like you just don't belong. Everywhere you go, you do not fit in. You can't fit in everywhere you go, even among Christians. They talk about their shows, their movies, they, you know, sometimes, you know, things that ought not to be watched for Christians. And, you know, they do their, you know, the conversations about this show and that show, what's trending, what's not trending. And they talk, they drink, they laugh, and they have a great old time. But as for you, you just, you can't fit. You just don't belong. And this is precisely what happens in the last days as churches become apostate. As Christians become apostate. As fellowships become apostate. There will be fewer churches that you can call home or that you can safely call home. Look what the Lord did with Lot. Deliverance. You see, and Peter says, since God did that to Lot in verse nine, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and 
to reserve the unjust under, pen, under punishment for the day of judgment. Whoa. Now, if you're listening for the first time, you're like, whoa, you know, like, I, yeah, here I am listening. And it's like, this is heavy stuff. Listen, go back to our study in 1 Corinthians. And then listen all the way up to 2 Peter chapter 2. You'll understand more. Very important truths. But sometimes these deep truths are difficult to receive depending on the believer. But it's truth nonetheless. And it just so happens that the Lord has us in 2 Peter chapter 2 today. These two camps in verse 9, you know, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Notice the two camps here. Treated very differently. All through the Bible, we see deliverance. All through the Bible, both Testaments, we see deliverance and we see punishment. But what we also see is the pathway that leads to each destination. What do we do? What is the Christian to do? I'll give you the answer. Choose. I mean, it's, it's really very simple. It's, it's ultra simple. You know, Jesus Christ, he says, you know, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He doesn't say, you know, hey, believe in me and you got to learn to do calculus. Hey, walk with me and you got to do statistics. Hey, walk with me and you got to do like bioscience, you know, astrophysics. No, he doesn't say that. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's very easy, ultra easy, but it's very intricate. Very, very intricate. Very easy, but very intricate. Just like, you know, you see like a, the, 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 the weaver. Each little weave, you know, it's very, one little act of, you know, a piece of fabric, you know, being bent and going here and weaving it. Just that one little act. It's very easy. Ultra easy. But when you take a huge, enormous rug that has all the, you know, the, the tapestry and it's just artwork, like a beautiful mosaic. Each little weave is very easy. But ultra, ultra, ultra intricate. The Lord doesn't make it difficult. We make it difficult. But the Lord, He doesn't make it difficult. He sends the helper. You see? And don't forget, the Holy Spirit bypasses some people. Now, I know that's a shock if you're listening for the first time. Like, what? Already, you know, this guy is saying this, and they already, he, you know, I'm listening for the first time, and he's talking about judgment. And then, you know, if that wasn't bad, now he's talking about, you know, we don't have the Holy Spirit. Now, go back and listen to our study through Acts chapter 8. You'll see how people baptized in Jesus by Philip the evangelist. And they do not have the Holy Spirit. They're baptized. They're believers. They come to Christ, but they do not have the Holy Spirit. You know what happened? John and Peter come to town. And they see that the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on them. So what do they do? They lay hands. The people receive the Holy Spirit except for one. 
Simon, he was wicked. You see, so easy, but so intricate. Just like that, the weaver. The weaver with gentle hands, but also firm hands. Weaving the fabric, you know, in, out, up, down, left, right, in, out. So simple, but yet ultra intricate, and it requires skill. Remember the, in the, in the, the blueprints that were given to Moses in the mountain, if you've been walking with us for a while? Our study in, in Exodus, when Moses was receiving the blueprints given by God and God told him, you know, to have the, you know, the, the skillful, skillful workers that can work these, the, the artisans that can do these things. What about the artisans of our time? The shepherds, the teachers, the overseers, very easy, but very intricate. You see, if you're listening for the first time or never, you've never heard this before. I know right off the bat, we're talking about judgment and that's because, you know, don't blame me, blame Peter, a vessel of the Lord. I'm just a messenger. I know this probably comes as a shock to hear, but understand the Lord, he's not slack concerning his promises. And you might be like, okay. He's going further, you know, he's already, you know, now he's like, you know, doubling down and saying that the Lord is not slack. Hey, I'm just the messenger. But God loves you. He sent his son for this very reason. God sent his son, God sent his son not to condemn the world, but that the world through him, through Jesus might be saved. Jesus, son of the most high God. He is the ark of our time. The question is this. Will you enter? Will you enter? And if the answer is yes, hit pause right here, right now. And listen to the message. Well, not yet. Let me say, you know, hit pause or not. Don't hit pause yet. But listen to the message. How to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ right here, right now. You listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And then you come back and you listen. And then we continue in our studies and we grow together as one. You hit pause and you listen to that message. You come back and you listen. You commit your life to Christ. Will you enter the ark? Will you come to Christ? We look at these two camps, the godly and the ungodly. Both have a pathway that leads to their final destinations, which it points to the manner in which a person walks. And Peter continues here in verse 10 in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. And he says, especially those who walk according to the flesh. You see, ungodliness? Ungodliness has a pathway, just like godliness does. The path of ungodliness is walking according to the flesh, and the path of godliness is walking according to the Spirit. Remember our study through Romans? Learning to walk according to the Spirit and denying the walk according to the flesh? You and me, we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. There's a huge problem in the church today with the 
Christian who flippantly says, oh, we're all sinners saved by grace. We're all sinners saved by grace. Listen, it's absolutely a biblical truth. But whether the truth applies to a person depends on the person's choices. You see, I'll give you an example. Oh, we're all sinners saved by grace. Come on, let's go party and get baked. You see? That's a person that walks according to the flesh and takes advantage of God's grace. That is the path of ungodliness. And this is what Paul says, don't do that. Remember exclamation point from our study in Romans? Does that mean that we should sin more so that grace can abound? No way, exclamation point. Remember our study through Romans. We're all sinners saved by grace. Everybody likes to say that. And a lot of people take advantage of God's grace, which is not a good thing. You and me... On this side of eternity, we're never going to be sinless. Never. But we can sin less and less and less and less and less as we grow and mature in Christ. You see, we cannot take advantage of God's grace. Now, there's something else that has to be factored in. If the person is a baby Christian... The baby Christian needs to learn how to walk just like a baby born into Adam. The baby has to learn how to walk. And that's where the mature believer teaches the baby how to walk. You see, just like parent unto child. This person would be the mature believer, an overseer and or pastor. And if this... The person is a baby believer. Just say, for example, you know, a baby believer just came to Christ last week. The focus is on the baby and getting the baby to maturity. You see, we have to factor in the babiness. Remember our study in 1 Corinthians. These are things that we have to factor in. But if the person is a baby, you know, who's been a believer for a long time, say the person's been a believer for three years, You see, and, you know, they're a baby, but they've been a baby for a long time. And they say, oh, we're all sinners saved by grace. Let's go to the club. You know, it's ladies night. That's different. Because if a Christian just saved last week says, hey, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm born again. We're all sinners saved by grace. You know, let's go party. It's the mature Christian. You say, hey, listen, you know, you know, instead of that, you know, let's have a Bible study. Let's fellowship, you know, let's go grab a burger, you know, and we'll talk, we'll have a little Bible study. And then it's there where the person can see the, the baby believer moving on to perfection and understanding that make, making the distinction between walking according to the flesh and walking according to the spirit. But a person's a believer for a long time, three years. Oh, we're all sinners saved by grace. Come on, let's go party. Let's go to the club and they've been a Christian for three years, that is different. Because the baby making a choice to walk according to the flesh, but the baby doesn't know because it's a baby. 
But the person that's been a believer for three years, five years, ten years, they're walking according to the flesh. They're taking advantage of God's grace, something that is forbidden for Christians. And now before when the baby says, hey, let's go party. Now the focal point is the baby. Okay, the baby doesn't understand how to walk. Now the baby has to learn how to walk according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. The baby's been, say the baby is, you know, 22 years old, walking according to the flesh, his or her whole life until age 22. But when they're walking according to the flesh, not a believer, it's like, okay, they're, they're walking in the ways of Adam. It's appropriate because they're not a believer. But then age 22, he or she becomes a Christian. Now she has to learn to walk again. He has to learn to walk again. I shouldn't say walk again, but walk according to the Spirit. A new way of living, a new way of conduct. Where the old nature is reckoned to be dead and walking in the newness of Christ. The baby just doesn't know how to make these choices. And so the mature believer and overseer or pastor teaches them, shows them. You see? And by example too. You see? Not playing the hypocrite, but by example. But then for the person, for the baby Christian who's been a baby, not for a week, not for a month, but for three years, five years, 10 years. And they say, hey, you know, we're all sinners saved by grace. You know, let's go get baked. You know, that is, there are several focal points at, in that situation. There are several focal points. The focus is on the believer, but not the believer as a baby. The believer now as leaven. You see, now the focus is not just on the leaven. The focus is also on the influence unto others because biblically we know a little leaven leavens the bunch. And there's another focal point, which is now on the remnant is to pr protect those who have not yet been influenced or overly influenced. Remember in 1 Corinthians when Paul says, do I praise you in this? Nope. Do I praise you in that? Nope. Why? Because they were moving on from the, the influence of carnality in the church. And there's yet another focal point. The pastor. Who in the world is the defunct leader that, ha that has taught this unholiness. Who is it? Point him out to me. Who is the pastor? You see? It's handled completely different. And these are things that must be factored in in church fellowship. The formula for fellowship. These are things that must be factored in. These are things that full package overseers look out for and protect. To protect against from happening. Why? Because they honor the Lord and they watch out for your soul. Very important. Remember, 1 Peter 
in the perilous times of 64 AD. Now we're three years later and things have gotten worse in 67 AD. And these are things that tend to happen in the course of time. Decay or refining. You see? And decay happens because of self, because of teacher, and because of Satan. Refining happens because of self, because of teacher, and of the Lord. Everyone has a choice to make. Leadership matters and choice matters. In terms of pastor, who is it that you choose to submit yourself to? There are many, 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 many churches across our land. And each church has many, 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 many pastors. There is a multiple of many, many pastors. Of the 10 million, who is it that you choose to submit yourself to? You see, to learn, to be equipped, to be trained. Very interesting that here in Second Peter chapter 2, Peter includes those who are walking in the flesh. In verse 10, he says, especially those who walk according to the flesh. Especially those who walk according to the flesh. And he includes some behavioral traits here where he says here, in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. Some translations say despise government, but in the Greek it's despise dominion. And, you know, other usages include the spirit realm, both good and evil. Very important to understand this because, you know, we, we're going to see this very palpably in real time. In the last days, we're going to see this. When nations go to war, nations go to war, there are preparations, there are stagings, there's intelligence gatherings, there are proxies and you know, non-kinetic methods. And this is all in preparation for the official breach and engagement of warfare. But there are military decision makers, and there are political decision makers as well. But on the backs of what is seen, there is the realm of what is unseen, the spirit realm. A spirit of antichrist. Don't forget Satan. He roams around like a lion waiting for whom he may devour. The spirit of antichrist. It is getting stronger today. All in preparation for the revealing of Antichrist when Satan takes his host. And this spirit realm, with spirit realm over regions of land, we see this with Gog and Magog and Daniel's visions. We see the spirit realm intertwining with the realm of man. This is part of the non-kinetic methods and proxies that come down to you know, at a local level even in this day and age. And just so you know, I teach from America, presently teach from America. 
And in America, we see efforts of school boards where they're indoctrinating children in all kinds of deviancies. And they try to paint it as something good. It's all spiritual warfare. It's a different battle of the same war. Spirit of Antichrist. It's getting stronger. It's getting stronger. And this battle, it's going to intensify. The breach of war, it will intensify. And the church will take major casualties. It is prophesied that Satan will prevail against the saints. We're going to take casualties. You say, okay, 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 we get it. You know, let's stick to our study here in Second Peter. You're kind of going off into la-la land. Let's stick to the text here, Second Peter chapter 2. But bear with me for a moment. Pastors today are leading Christians into carnality. They do not teach about the spiritual side of warfare where government today becomes tyrannical. And with tyrannical government pastors, immediately they want to protest against the government. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think the demonic forces that are unseen, do you think they're intimidated by pastors who do such and lead in such manner? Do, do you think they don't bat an eye? Do you think demons are afraid of Christians who fight this way? The spirit realm. The demons are not afraid. They're not, they're not only not afraid, but they are strengthened. You know why? Because they can exploit this carnality to their own gains, to their own advances and victory. The Bible prophesies that Satan will prevail against the saints. You have Laodicea, you have Pergamum, but there's something very different about Philadelphia. You see? And Christians think their pastor is a good leader by fighting against the government. How dare the government shut us down? How dare they shut us down? But what Christians don't see is the motivation of the pastor. The formula of the pastor. Where a pastor has a nice steady flow of income, $350,000 per year, doing what he calls the Lord's work. $350,000 per year, sometimes even more. Sometimes, you know, up to $10 million a year. Clergy tax, good old clergy tax, good old tax code. People come to church, they tithe, and the nice flow of income keeps rolling in. And then government shuts down churches. 
a tactic of Satan done in the spirit realm, which has dominion over the affairs of man through political leaders. That's why we're told to pray for our leaders. To pray for our leaders. It's to protect them from this demonic influence. It's to protect them. Pray for your leaders. I'm not a fan of, you know, certain political leanings, but we're told to pray for our leaders. To protect them. You see? And what happens when the spirit realm, which has dominion, the strengthening, the, the, the gaining, the, 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 the growing of, you know, certain regions of the world, such as Magog, the spirit realm, Gog, all leading up to the time when Satan finds his host in the Antichrist. But the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well and very effective in warfare and already taking casualties. So we have tyrannical government and the government has come down and shut down churches. Something that, you know, if you've been around for the last three years, we've seen happen. But then you see something else happen. Where a pastor has a nice steady flow of income, $350,000 a year, maybe up to 10 million, maybe even more. But as soon as government shuts the churches down, that flow of income goes from $350,000 per year, tithed by the steady flow of congregants. Now it's down to $5,000 per year by the devout followers. Major, major change in lifestyle. Unless the pastor then decides to rail against tyrannical government, defy government, and he's lauded as a hero. Christians, they say, oh, look, he's standing up for our rights. When really what's happening? The pastor, he's a hireling. Because his motive the whole time was money. He was making half a million dollars a year. With the steady flow of congregants and a steady flow of income, they passed the, 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 the tithing tray around and people would drop in their checks. You see, he was really a hireling because his motivation is money. Now that steady flow of half a million dollars, now it's down to $10,000 a year. He's going to have to make some major, major lifestyle changes. And he doesn't want to do that. And so he fights the government. He defies the government, says, oh, they want to shut us down. We're going to keep our doors open. And the people think, oh, look, he's, he's such a godly man. Oh, look, he's standing up for our rights. You see? When the whole time his motive was the greenback. He's serving himself and exploiting believers because his bank account dwindled to peanuts. You see, and saints don't know this. The Lord knows. 
Satan knows too. And he exploits carnality and the flesh. You see? And Satan's objective in this theater of spiritual warfare, the objective is to get believers on the pathway of the flesh because it has an ultimate end. The lake of fire. Satan knows where he's going. He knows. What does he want to do? He wants to drag people with him. Some people, he already has. I mean, you know, the non-believer, he's got them. But the believer? Our numbers, they will grow fewer in the last days as Satan prevails against the saints. The spreading of apostasy. Why would God allow such a thing? The Bible says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. You see? What is written in the old is for our warning. And so Peter, when he writes it, when he says this and he writes this, what he's doing is he's revealing that this despising authority and dominion. Remember, Peter says, especially those who walk according to the flesh. And despising authority and dominion, he continues here in verse 10. He says, they are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Do you remember the sin of presumption in our study through Torah? These carnal people who despise authority and are self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Some translations say celestial beings or glorious ones, but it points to this very aspect of warfare that is unseen. It's the spirit realm. The spirit realm. Remember the demons to the sons of Siva? Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who in the world are you? The sons of Siva were fighting according to the flesh, and they lost. There's this aspect of spiritual warfare. I mean, when the Bible teaches us in uh, Ephesians, Ephesians 6, about spiritual warfare and the weapons of our warfare and fighting according to the Spirit... It's not to, it's not so that we can pick up a sword and pick up a shield and, you know, look good, you know, to, to take selfies. It's not so we can wear a helmet and, you know, look cool, you know, and look in the mirror and say, oh, look, I'm cool. I look like a warrior. No, we put on these weapons of warfare. The shield, the helmet, the breastplate, the sword. We wear these. It's not for selfies. It's not to look in the mirror and think we're cool. It's to fight. It's to fight. It's to go on offense. We have a shield for defense. But we also have a sword. It's to fight the good fight. Not according to the flesh. But according to the spirit. You see? 
and Peter in teaching the saints. Don't forget, 67 AD, the cost of being a Christian. If you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our study in 1 Peter, or the introduction to 1 Peter. And we kind of do an overview and see like, okay, this is, this is what culture and society looks like in 64 AD and how much worse three years later in 67 AD. Very dangerous to be a Christian. Very, very dangerous to be a Christian. And the number of Christians is dwindling. You see? And this aspect of spiritual warfare and I don't even like saying this aspect of spiritual warfare because it is our warfare. It's not just an aspect. It straight up is our warfare. And Peter says here in verse 11, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. You see, the angels don't even do this. The angels who are greater in power and might, they don't even do this. And yet, mere mortals walking according to the flesh. These are the behaviors that they engage in. They fight according to the flesh. Oh, let's come against the government. How dare the government shut us down? How dare the government shut us down? When really the pastor, he's concerned about his dwindling bank account. Because that tithing basket doesn't get passed around the church anymore. You see? Hirelings. They do not care about the sheep. When the wolf comes, you know what they do? They run like little scaredy cats. You see? He's not a warrior. He's a scaredy cat. He's a hireling. And what does Peter say? Remember what Peter says in verse 9? Camp one, in verse nine, remember camp one. Then the Lord knows how to, to, to deliver the godly out of temptations and then camp two and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. You see? And then don't forget verse 10. And especially those who walk according to the flesh, Peter says. I meant... When you see and hear Christians rail against the government, against dominion and dignitaries, know what is happening. Know what is happening. They're losing a battle of a greater war that will take major casualties among the saints. But who is the Christian who will say, hey, let's pray for our leaders? You see, let's pray for their protection. Because in the spirit realm, the demons. You think when a politician wants, you know, to teach sex education, to teach, you know, lesbianisms, transgenderisms, you know, homosexuality to a five-year-old. Do you think that's of the Lord? They make these choices because they have major influence in the spirit realm. All building up to the Antichrist. It's the Antichrist spirit. But it's all building up for the revealing of the Antichrist. And you see Christians, you see the church. Fighting carnally according to the flesh. But where is the church? 
that will have their prayer meeting and all the saints gather and they pray for the leadership of their town. The mayor, the school boards, council members, and they pray for them. Pray for their protection against these demonic influences. Where is the church? Asleep. Church has a prayer meeting. You know who shows up? Nobody. The church is asleep. A church of 14,000 people. You know who shows up? 25 people. You see? That's how we fight. We pray. We don't fight old covenant rules of engagement. We don't fight that way. We fight according to the Spirit. And that's what you see in the book of Acts. You see saints praying. You don't see them, you know, fighting physically according to the flesh. You don't see that. In the perilous times of 67 AD, Peter, he's about ready to die. Paul, he's about ready to die. Peter, historically in church tradition, on a cross, upside down. He wasn't. He didn't count himself as worthy, so he says, no, I'm not worthy to die like my Lord, so hang me upside down. And he dies on a cross upside down. Paul, beheaded. The perilous times of 67 AD. And where do you see their exhortation to fight according to the flesh? You don't see it. You don't see it. Why? That's not how we fight. If they advocated that type of fighting, they would be disobedient to their commander, the commander of the armies of heaven. They're not disobedient. They fight differently. They fight in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. They fight holy. You see? You hear pastors leading Christians and they speak with such bravado against government, against dominion, against dignitaries, including the spirit realm. The inclusion of the spirit realm these demonic influences, things that angels don't even do. Angels in verse 11 who are greater in power and might, they don't do that. You see? And yet these mere mortals who call themselves pastors, that's exactly what they do. Satan's not afraid of that. The demons, they're not afraid of that. In fact, they like it. You know why? That's like being fully armed for war and the opposing force doesn't even have a butter knife. It doesn't even have a plastic butter knife. There's no threat. You see, no threat whatsoever. The demons, they don't mind. They like it. 
You know why? Because they can exploit the carnality. They can exploit the carnality just like we see in 1 Corinthians with the sex, the alcohol, the uh, extortion. That's what the last days is going to look like. And the last days aren't coming. They're already here. They're already here. And Brother Peter, to the people of extremely perilous times in 67 AD, he further warns about these Korahs in the mist. In verse 12, he says, But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. So which is it? Which is it? Made for destruction or one's own corruption? Now, there's several factors in play here. Say you and me, we're on a basketball team. We play basketball. NBA, we're on a basketball team. And we're contenders for the championship. Say we're content. We're, we're pretty good. And there's a possibility that we can, we can go all the way. But say I get called out for a foul. Very important game. Then another foul. Then another. And then I foul out. And then the next game I foul out. My nature becomes endemic. Endemic to me, but now it impacts the team. The referees, they're making their choice. They call fouls based on my behavior. Then the coach, he talks to me. Assistant coach coaches me. But I keep fouling out of every single game. Finally, I'm cut from the team. You could say, well, it was inevitable. Which is understandable given the inevitabilities of such behavior. But I never had to foul out of any game. Each game, I had a choice to make. I had a choice to behave in the manner of my choosing, just like you. You see, a person has his or her own choice to make in the manner of behavior. Now, behaviors have eventuality and inevitabilities. Peter indicates here in verse 12, one's own corruption and also destruction. Both are true. You see? Just like the example we gave where I get cut from the team. There were inevitabilities of my behavior which merited being cut from the team. And the same applies to us in the faith. Choosing to walk according to the flesh or choosing to walk according to the spirit. Remember, Peter says, especially those who walk according to the flesh. You see? Also true is the beauty of repentance and belief in Jesus. Because you can be on the path of destruction. You can be straight up in the camp of destruction. And you might be listening. Somebody told you to listen. And here you are listening. 
And I don't know your station in life. But if you're not a believer, you're on the path that leads to destruction. And you hear speak like, you know, like, whoa, you know, like this is there's destruction. And then, you know, there's life and death. There's destruction or, you know, there's there, there, there there's paradise. And you might be wondering, what do I do? What I want to do, I want to rescue you straight up. I want to rescue you from the error of your ways, which were the error of my ways back in the day. You have to believe in Jesus and repent. If that's you, hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ. You come back, you listen, we grow together. We journey together. And this journey, we're going to paradise. Right here, right now, commit your life to Christ. And Brother Peter of the corrupt... In the ways of corruption, Peter continues here in verse 13. He says, And will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They count it as pleasure to carouse. What is carousing? They count it as pleasurable to lose strength through unrestrained debauchery. That's how it translates. So the pleasure to carouse. That's the, it's, they, they count it as pleasurable to lose strength through unrestrained debauchery. Meanwhile, pastors and teachers, they like to say, oh, we're all sinners saved by grace. Just a little sex, no big deal. Just a little pornography, no big deal. Just a little Ouija board, just a little Buddha, no big deal. Men will be men, women will be women. Let's just love on each other like the Bible says. That's what they say. That's what they say. We cannot forget the thousands of it is also written. Because unrestrained wanton behavior, as Peter indicates here in verse 13, it has a name. Apostate. And Peter says in verse 13, they are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions, you see, while they feast with you. This is inside the church. While they feast with you, one's own deceptions, they lead to one's own decay. It's maturity that will help you identify such a person. The overseers, they should be able to identify such people. But when the overseers have also corrupted themselves, decay quickly spreads. Verse 14, Peter continues, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing and unstable souls. A major threat to babies in Christ. New believers, a major, major threat. Because there is an instability to new believers because they simply don't know they're babies. I mean, you take a freshly born baby, prop him or her up on her feet, and then you let go. You know what's going to happen? They're going to fall. 
You can't do that. You have to hold them. They have to learn how to walk. They have to get strength in their legs. They have to learn to balance. You see? And this is a major threat to babies in Christ. You see? Say, for example, a new believer is in church with the wrong formula. And the church is the wrong formula. The pastor is the wrong formula. But she simply doesn't know. She doesn't know that it's a dangerous place to be. She's a new believer. She comes to Christ. She loves the Lord. But she's in a dangerous place. And she doesn't realize. And in that dangerous place, she makes friends. Develops deep relationships. She likes her pastor. She likes the women's leader. She shares in others' burdens. But she plateaus in her own growth. She plateaus. Why? Because the church where she's at, it, it only goes from preschool to kindergarten to first grade. And that's it. That's the extent of her growth because that's how the pastor teaches. You see? And this is what Peter is talking about. Her unstable soul has been enticed. And in this feast, there are some bad apples. She doesn't go beyond first grade because that's how the pastor teachers teaches, but also because the Lord isn't permitting. Remember Hebrews chapter 5 and 6? Remember our 33 Hebrews? Carnality is a great restrictor of maturity. This soul of hers was once a beautiful baby in the Lord. And now someone like Peter teaches, teaches some, somebody like Paul teaches, somebody like Brother James teaches, and they're the bad guy. They're the bad guy because these deeper truths have never been taught to her. You see? And these bad apples in the church, they're threats in the church. And Peter continues. They have a heart trained in covetous practices. Trained. They've been doing it for a while. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. Verse 15, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Remember Balaam in our study through Numbers? In our study through Numbers, he started out with Balaam. He started out well. He had intimacy with the Lord, but he didn't finish well. An Old Testament example of once saved, stay saved. He didn't do that. He loved the wages of unrighteousness. In verse 16, But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. Verse 17, Brother Peter says, These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest. Very interesting what Peter says, inspired of the Holy Spirit of our Lord. Wells without water, clouds carried by tempest. Remember, Peter, he's speaking about teachers. 
Peter is speaking about the teachers as wells, but with no water. As clouds pushed by the whirlwind. Picture a land like that. Picture a land like that. No water in the wells, no rain from the sky. You know what that is? It's a famine. And Peter is speaking about a famine of the word of God. A famine of the word of God in the last days. Oh, but they have the pastor parking spot. That's nice. That's nice. Look what verse 17 says, that their wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Listen, you cannot heed these people. You cannot heed them. It's very dangerous for babies. Baby Christians, young believers, very, very dangerous for young believers. Why? Because the young believer doesn't know. But to grow and mature in Christ, you'll be able to know. You'll be able to spot out the wolf. And you'll be able to see and understand that you cannot heed these people. Yeah, they can pack seats. They can pack the house. But you know what? There's no water. No water. And in verse 18, Brother Peter says, For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness... They allure. In the Greek, translate it says, they trick, they bait, they entice, they trap. That's what they do. Great swelling words of emptiness. He says, through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. Just like the example we gave earlier with the baby believer, she believes in Jesus and commits her life to him, which is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. And then she enters a dangerous church. That is not a beautiful thing. What has happened is that she has escaped from those who live in the error of the world, which is a good thing. But there's error in where she calls church home, which is a bad thing. Why? It's where the false teacher preaches. With great swelling words, but it's a whole lot of nothing, no water, a famine of the word of God. In church. In church. In verse 19, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. So in this example, the preacher man teaches, preacher man teaches promising liberty, but the preacher man is a hypocrite. Wrong formula in the preacher, man. The believer, in the example, she's escaped the world. She believes in Jesus. She has escaped the world. But now she enters the church. And it's a bad church. Wrong formula. And has been brought into bondage. You see? Remember our study through Deuteronomy 28? Old Testament Torah. 
in Deuteronomy 28, where, you know, out of Egypt and then brought to Egypt once again, remember, it's not an Old Testament truth only. It was written for our warning, and we see that exact same thing here in verse 19, that these preacher men, the preacher guys, false teachers, they promised liberty when they themselves are the hypocrite, slaves of corruption. And the person who submits himself, submits herself to such a preacher man, brought into bondage again. And this is what Peter is warning. A generation of believers in perilous times, the perilous times of 67 AD. In verse 20, he says, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, listen, believing in Jesus and escaping the pollutions of the world, that is a beautiful thing. But this one, Peter is saying, they have escaped, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, all beautiful. These are beautiful things. Notice what happens. These are good things. Escaping the world, good. Knowledge of Jesus, good. But remember, the Bible says that it is a good thing to submit to the pastor. It's good. But the wrong pastor, you see? The pastor with great swelling words, the pastor with the wrong formula, that pastor brings a person into bondage. The chains of Egypt. They escape the world. They believe in Jesus. The wrong pastor chains them to Egypt where the pollutions of the world run wild. And if this happens, there is imminent danger. If, Peter says this, and if they are entangled, if they are again entangled in them, the pollutions of the world, and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than in the beginning. This is heavy. Heavy, 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 heavy. That's why Jesus says, count the cost. It's why we say, jump ship. We don't say, jump ship for your ruin. It's for your safety. If the formula in your fellowship, if it does not align with the truth of God's holy word, jump ship. It's for your safety. Because when the false teacher from the pulpit puts the chains of Egypt on the believer. Look what happens. Verse 21. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. You see? You know what holy commandment translates to in the Greek? Translates to holy authoritative prescription. Something we like to call holy formula if your fellowship and overseers do not have holy formula do not stay you cannot stay if your fellowship and overseers do have holy formula do not leave don't look for size look for formula it must be right according to scripture it must be right when the chains of Egypt are put on a person, 
the servant of Satan that masquerades as pastor. It is not a good thing at all. But verse 22, Peter says this, but it has happened to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit. And a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Whoa. You see? Beautiful brother Peter is teaching us about the false teacher, the false prophet, and the way of the apostate as warning, as something to avoid. Very apropos for the perils of 67 AD. Also, Apropos for the perils of 2023 A.D. To the beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.